Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Awesome. Well, it's great to be here this morning. Um, and, and really, I feel like I'm probably the only pastor this morning that's going to be preaching not on Acts 2, um, but that's okay. Um, so as I've already shared, yeah, Streetlight, it's a, it's a ministry that seeks to mobilize the local church to be out in the community in unity with one another. John 17 says that Jesus commands and, and he prays and believes that it's possible that we as the church would be as united as he and the Father. Um, and that's a strong desire in my heart. Um, and, and the other strong desire is that uh, in Matthew 5, which is sort of where Streetlight came from, is that Jesus, uh, he, he says that we're the light of the world, not just that of the church. He says, no one light, uh, hides their light under a bowl. Um, and, and I really believe that you know, sometimes God wants to challenge us to have that courage like Jen just prayed for, that you know, we're actually meant to shine light out in the darkness. And we, we sing about it in church that, that, you know, that darkness trembles at his name and that, that his light does shine in darkness and darkness flees, but that yet we step outside of the church and we go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid again. Um, so it's really you know, something that I'd like to encourage you with today is that we can step into those spaces. We can occupy those places and actually see what we sing about become a reality. Um, so a question to start with, who here likes being interrupted? No one. All right, I had my night's sleep interrupted most nights because we have a four-year-old girl and we're trying to train her not to wet the bed. Um, but in, you know, why we don't like interruptions is because they're inconvenient. You know, they literally interrupt something that we would rather be doing, i.e. sleep. You know, when that gets interrupted, we get annoyed. You know, if I'm sleeping and, uh, and Jeremy here gives me a phone call and, uh, and, you know, it wakes me up, I will probably, you know, he's got a good voice, so like I'd probably be all right, but I'd probably think I'm still dreaming, but you know, I'll, be inter- I'll be annoyed because I've, my, have my, I've had my sleep interrupted. But if I was in the middle of the day and Jez gives me a phone call and I'm not doing anything and he says, would I like to catch up? The exact same situation can occur, but at a different time and I don't call it an interruption. I call it a phone call. So, you know, it, it interrupts us because of the priorities we place on our lives and, and sort of where we choose to, to put our, uh, our focus. Um, this next slide, uh, who can tell me what this symbol is? Do not disturb. This is why Jez doesn't call me in the middle of the night. It's because I use do not disturb. It is my favorite feature on my phone. I often get kids in there out on the street and they say, you know, if I call you at midnight and ask for help, will you respond to me? And I say, No. <laughs> because I will not get notified of your call, so try someone else. <laughs> I do not like to be interrupted, but, and, and, and you're saying that you don't either, but I want to question that. Do you really? We get interrupted all the time, social media notifications, text messages, emails, phone calls, but yet how many of these interruptions should we really better call distractions? We actually allow these distractions that interrupt us from something that's more important, and we allow them every single day to take our focus away from what is really important. And what it is, is that the world says that life is about you, that everything is about you. So you get a notification pop up on your phone, and it's telling you, oh, maybe it's something about me. And so it takes your focus away from others. It takes your focus away from God. You know, you're reading your Bible in the morning and you, and you get a Facebook notification that someone's liked your post and you go, oh, quick, I better stop focusing on God and start focusing back on me. We live in a, in a time where we're so self-focused. The focus is so much on I 
that we allow ourselves to be interrupted when it's something that appeals more to ourselves. These distractions is what I want to call them. They are self-focused. Distractions take us off of what we should really be looking at. But I want to question some of the real interruptions that we, that we don't like. Some of the interruptions like we're going to the shops to buy ourselves some, some groceries for our family. And there's a, there's a homeless man that's sitting by the, uh, the front of the shops. And you know, it's an interruption to us because it makes us feel uncomfortable and we are there for ourselves to buy our family some groceries and he's sitting in our way. And yet we will go, I'm not willing to be interrupted because I've got something more important to do. Are we able to look at some interruptions that happen in our life around us a little bit differently? To start seeing, God, what are you doing here? God, is this a time where you're wanting me to focus on me or you're wanting me to grow in my love and understanding of others? So this morning we're going to be talking about mission to the marginalized. We're going to be looking at Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to that. And in this, in this passage, we see the, the, the precursor to this is that, that one day a religious man, an expert of the law, he stands up to Jesus and says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? His focus is completely on him. He is self-focused going, what do I need to do so that I can inherit eternal life, so that my eternal salvation is guaranteed? And it's all about what he can do. He places the complete emphasis here on human responsibility about what he can do to get across the line. Now, when we place the focus on mission to the marginalized, we can often do the very same thing, about what we can do for God, what we can do out in the world. It's, about, it's all about us. It's all about us going and doing some social good to someone that is hurting or needs help. This was part of my understanding of what mission really was. Um, about 10 years ago, my wife and I went on a journey around the world. Um, six weeks, we went to six different countries. Each country we went to, we were saying, God, would you show us where you want us to serve you? And each place we went to, we went to Africa, Asia, Middle East. We came back to Australia, and every place we went to, we felt God say, no, this isn't where I want you. We got back to Adelaide, the place that we left six weeks earlier, $10,000 richer. And, uh, and we, we got back, and we felt God say, this is where I want you to serve me on mission. Our response to God was, God, that's not how mission works. You know, God, let, let us tell you what mission is. Mission is going off to a different country and serving there for a season and then coming home. That was our wrapped up definition of mission. And maybe that's yours here today too. But we felt God wanting to challenge our definition of mission. God was wanting to challenge our definition of mission from being a location that we go to being a lifestyle that we lead that it actually becomes something that was so ingrained in a part of who we were that we became missional because that is the God that we serve. God doesn't go on mission. God is mission. And, and, and you know, God had to change the perception that I had of what brokenness was. I'd only ever seen brokenness from a distance. I'd seen brokenness you know, in overseas and sort of in suburbs and areas in our lives that we place it at a distance because we see brokenness as a problem to avoid rather than an opportunity to engage. So you know, how we view things, our perception really challenges our action. The end of last year, we had a 17-year-old girl through Streetlight who passed away from leukemia. And this shattered me. We'd known her for four years. And, and it really broke me to see that Someone that we had engaged with and we had ministered to for four years. You know, she, she got sick really quickly and then she was gone. And then now I find myself connecting with a, you know, a 40-year-old father, single dad, 
who's lost his only child. His world has been utterly shattered. And you know what I've learned about brokenness that exists in these kind of situations? Is that brokenness cannot be mended from a distance. Brokenness gets repaired up close. You know, have you ever tried fixing like a, a pot or something, a vase that your child's broken? I know I have. And you, know, you can't really like stand back with a pair of tongs and sort of like pe- put pieces back together. You've got to get right up close. And it's like that with people's lives. That our lives, you know, Jesus didn't repair our lives from up in heaven. He came down. Get back to my sermon. Um, and ministry, it's not something that we go and do for God. But we actually join God. God came down and he calls us to join him where he is. Jesus didn't say to the disciples, you know, the first time he calls them, he doesn't say, okay, now go and do. He says, come. God invites each of us to come. So seven years ago, my wife and I, we, uh, we got back from overseas and we, uh, we landed back in Adelaide and uh, we felt God call us into mission, into ministry in Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth wasn't really the place that I had on mind where I was going to serve God when he called me back to Adelaide. Often Elizabeth has uh, sort of interesting connotations. Maybe you're thinking of different pictures and people in your mind right now. Bogan, Darrow, Ruff. You know, these were images that I had. My high school teacher growing up told us that Elizabeth was the last place. Sorry, he said Elizabeth. Is the last place that you want to end up in life. And God has a sense of humor. So God called me there. And, and through that time, he, he, he challenged me to, to step outside of the four walls of the church, outside of the bowl that I'd been hiding my light under, to see what God was doing. You know, we sing and we talk about God's, you know, that God is alive, that Jesus didn't just rise from the dead and then sort of go, that he is still alive. He didn't die again, and that he is active in the world around us. And yet we become so comfortable inside the church that we don't go outside the church and live out what we believe. And you know what I've experienced through being in ministry with broken people in Elizabeth is that God isn't just using me to transform their life. He's using them to transform my life. That God will use you in places by which he will transform you as he's using you and working through you to transform those around you. Back in Abraham in Genesis, sorry, back in Genesis with Abraham, Genesis 12, God says, I will bless you. Now we all like to hear that. But he says that through you, I'll be a blessing to the whole world. That God's blessing isn't just for you. That it's so that others around you would be blessed. In Acts 20, we read that Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. Now, do we actually find that that's true or do we just know that that's written in our Bible? Because when we actually put it into practice, we find that it's true. So as I started to connect out on the street, and I'm happy to talk to you a bit more about the story around that, but I really want to dive into this, uh, this passage this morning. As I started to connect out with young people on the street, you know, not just inviting them to church where I was, because that was where I was comfortable, but they were incredibly uncomfortable. But I was actually willing to step out and connect with them where they were. Now we've got about 12 churches with about 20 or 30 volunteers that connect with these young people every week, week in, week out, three nights a week out in Elizabeth, and we're about to partner down south at Norlunga. Um, which is really exciting. At the end of the month, um, the council and the shopping centre are inviting us down there to partner with young people down there, getting local churches to gather together to connect out on the street. Um, so it's really, really exciting. But some points that I want to um, just sort of express before we jump into today's passage, that this is God's mission long before it's your mission. Yes. 
that ultimately that God invites you to be a part of this mission. It's not us going and doing something. You know, Augustine, uh, an early church father, he said that without God, we cannot. But without us, God will not. God's primary method of transforming the world, of redeeming and restoring the world back to himself has been through humanity. It's why I fundamentally believe that Jesus, why Jesus was sent as a man, that he uses mankind to redeem and restore us back to himself. The whole aspect of loving God, loving others. He invites us to be a part of this. It's not just a responsibility, but it's also an opportunity. And that you, we, I, are a recipient of God's mission before we are a participant on God's mission. That we actually need to receive this mission from God. That he actually, he's actually on mission for you. That you were once broken and need to be repaired and restored back to him. So we start off in verse 25 of uh, Luke 10. And uh, we have this guy here who stands up and he's trying to test Jesus to see what he can do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus responds to him by saying, what do you read in the law of Moses? How do you read your Bible? You know, we all interpret scripture in our own way. We read it through the lens of, of how we've learned to understand it. And sometimes we need to be corrected. Now, this man here in this instance, he says to Jesus, he says, the Lord says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, very good. That's right. Do this and you will live. So the man trying to justify himself, he had the correct understanding of what the scripture said. He just struggled to put it into practice in his life. And I think sometimes for us, I know for me, I come to church and I'll hear something, I'll read something in the Bible, I'll sing something in a song, and I know it's true. But where I struggle is when I go out on Monday. To actually allow that to, as Mike says, is to, well, invade our Mondays through to our Saturdays. You know, it's, it's not just about what happens inside the house. It's actually what happens outside. I can tell everyone that I love my wife, but if everyone sees that I'm not being nice to her, they're going to start questioning whether I really do. So the man answered the question correctly, but seeking to justify himself, he wanted to feel better about himself. He says, okay, so who is my neighbor? And this is where Jesus replies with a story. You ever got those people in your life where you ask them a question and you just want a simple answer like yes or no? Like, you know, is this restaurant worth going to eat at? And then they open up and tell you this huge story. That was Jesus. So here we go. We're going to dive into this story. And, and just by way of introduction, the, the people here that Jesus is talking to, the Samaritans, just so you get a bit of a, a cultural context here, is the Samaritans, back in the Old Testament, the Israelites were carried off into exile to Babylon. The Samaritans were this, this group of people that stayed from the northern kingdom of Israel. They stayed and they intermarried with different races and, and it all got sort of mixed up. So they were no longer viewed by the Israelites as pure. They were looked at, sort of, they, they downgraded them. They didn't even classify them as Israelites anymore. So they got the name Samaritans. And, and the Jews, the people that Jesus is talking to here, they hated the Samaritans. They despised them so much as we're going to see in this story. And it's just interesting that Jesus uses these very people that the Jews would avoid at all costs, that Jesus uses them to teach them a lesson about loving others. They had a saying that said, a good Samaritan is a dead Samaritan. That's how much they thought of Samaritans. So the story goes, a Jewish man traveling down the road, it's in verse 30, 
Traveling down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was attacked by bandits, stripped of clothes, beaten up, and left half dead beside the story. Sorry, beside the road. Um, He's left half dead beside the road. From Jerusalem to Jericho indicates that this man was returning from the temple. He was returning from the holy city, going on his way. He was a Jewish man, and yet he gets beaten up and left half dead. I've got a picture in, uh, in this next slide here of, the, uh, of, of, of what the, uh, the Jericho Road looks like. The Jericho Road was a very rough place. It was so easy for bandits to hide in a little cave or behind a rock and jump out and attack unsuspecting victims. And so in this story, we have this Jewish man who comes and he gets attacked. In the modern day equivalent, this guy has just been to church. And he's going out from church back into the world and he finds himself in a helpless situation where he has been attacked by someone else. There are many in our world today who are living in helpless situations. Maybe that's someone here today. Living in a helpless situation and you're going on your way and you find yourself victim to some form of attack. I want you to hold on to that this morning. The bandits... On this Jericho road, they, they used to just, it was so notorious. It was actually, the, the road from, Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho was called the way of blood because of the amount of blood that was shed on this road. And you know, John 10.10 10 says that the devil seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. The bandits in this story are sort of the, the picture of evil in our society around us. Just waiting and playing, uh, preying on unsuspecting victims, trying to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have here this bloodied man lying half dead, helpless, unable to help himself, no one else alongside of him to help him through his condition. And along comes the priest. Along comes a priest in verse 31, seeing the man lying there, crosses to the other side of the road. Now, can you see that road? How thick is that road? How wide is that road? It's about, it looks like it's about as narrow as this part of the stage I'm standing on. The other side of the road wasn't far. He probably had to step over the man to be able to keep passing through. And yet he avoids the responsibility to take care of someone in need. And sometimes in our life, we are so ignorant of the people in our way that God places in our way, they interrupt our life, and yet we're so ignorant because we're so self-focused. This priest, he was probably thinking, you know, well, if I touch this man, I'm going to get defiled, and then that affects who I am. That affects my responsibility. It affects my roles. So self-focused we can be that we avoid the opportunities and the responsibilities that God puts in front of us. And so Jesus is sharing here that this man was not willing to love his neighbor. This was a fellow Jew. It was his own people. And he wasn't willing to help. The priest was probably the modern day equivalent would be a pastor. Sort of the leader of the church, responsible. And so it's something for us as leaders in the church to hold ourselves to seeing who is it that God puts in our lives around us. Now, I love it. Like, I know Mike and Jen well, and there are people that Jen shared with us about just this last year that she walked alongside of through helpless situations. This is what Jesus calls us to do. Who are those people around us that are in those helpless situations, and how do we get involved? It's not comfortable, but Jesus is good, and he is light in darkness. And we can see that come true. The next person that comes along, verse 32, a temple assistant. This is like, maybe, who can I pick on? This is like the leader, sort of, not the pastor. This is like the leaders. 
So these are those like serving on team. This is, this is, I'll pick on, no, I've already picked on Jeremy. Jared, uh, this, Jared. Jared okay, Jared. So this is Jared. You know, he's, he's a little bit bigger. He's a little bit, uh, I won't say stronger. Um, but, you know, he, he's able to maybe help out a little bit more in this situation. But he comes along. He sees the person. He actually walks over to the person, looks at him, and then chooses to step over him as well. Chooses to walk past on the other side. Likewise, this person sees the people as a problem to avoid, something to create distance between myself and them rather than stepping in. You know, when the church exists purely in the building, just on Sundays, not lived out through Monday to Saturday, James tells us that that faith is dead. Elsewhere, it says that if we see a need and we know that we can meet that need and we choose not to, that's actually sin. This is the Bible. It's pretty challenging. And yet, I don't know about you, but I've seen myself do this so many times. And you know, we can get to the point where we go, well, God, I can't be responsible for everyone. How can I meet all the homeless people in the city and meet all their needs? God's not calling you to meet all their needs, but he's not calling you to avoid them either. Can you meet one person's need? Imagine if everyone in this room this week met one person's need. How much better would our city be? So then we come along, and this is where the story gets funny for those that are listening. Jesus picks out the despised Samaritan. He picks out a man that the people who were listening would have cringed at the very words that Jesus was saying and said that this man saw the man and felt compassion for him. This man that Jesus uses, the Samaritan, he would have known that this man was Jewish. And he would have known that if the, if the shoe was on the other foot, that this Jewish man probably would have stepped over him and probably would have given him a kick while he's down because the Jews hated the Samaritans. So it's so challenging that this is who Jesus uses. And I think sometimes in life today, I know that I feel so challenged when the world is doing so much of a better job of loving people in need than the church is. Wow. You know that the very word charity that we think is a secular term these days, actually comes from the Greek word charis, which means grace. Charity started in the church. And there are charities now that were started as Christian charities that are now Christian by name only. And I think this is a responsibility God's calling us as the church to pick up. Now, I'm not calling you all to go and start charities and, and, and you know, do that, but are you called to be gracious to those who need mercy? So this, uh, this man, he goes over to him, soothes his wounds with olive oil and bandaged them, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. Verse 35, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. These two silver coins were about the equivalent of two days wages, just to put it into context, saying, take care of him. If his bill runs higher, next time I'm back, I'll pay you more. The Samaritan here shows himself to be selfless, whilst the religious leaders were selfish. He's willing to take his own time, use his own money. Now, unless this guy was a doctor, I'm presuming that the bandages that he had were probably torn from his very own clothes. He uses his own wine, his own oil to soothe his wounds for someone that probably wouldn't help him in return. And Jesus asks this, this religious leader at the end of this story, he says, which of these three men was a neighbor to the man who was attacked? Now, this, this here shows you how prejudiced 
these Jews were to the Samaritans. He says, the one who showed him mercy. He wouldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan's name. And sometimes our deep-rooted prejudice, you know, growing up, I, I avoided Elizabeth because I knew what it was like. I'd never even been there, but I knew what it was like and I avoided it. You know, God challenged me a few years back when, I was, when he called me out onto the streets of Elizabeth. He challenged me to say, sometimes it's really hard to love people that you're not even prepared to get to know. Are you prepared to get to know? You know, God calls you to love the person that's sitting beside the supermarket, begging for money. And you can go, well, he's, he's probably an alcoholic. He's probably a drug addict. He's probably... Are you prepared to get to know him? Because that person has a name. That person was worth something to God. He was created in the image of God. And Jesus said, you're worth me coming and, and dying and raising on the Christ to redeem and restore you back to myself. Is he worth something to you? So Jesus challenges this religious leader. He says to go and do the same. Now in these three, we can see what was most important to each of them. We can see where their, sort of, where their, where their priorities lied. And we see in the religious leaders that they were so selfish. And what we see in that is that self-exaltation always, well, I won't say always, but it usually leads to, to others' exploitation. That when we see these, these, uh, these religious leaders, when we see ourselves and our own priorities as the most important in life, it's usually at someone else's expense. Someone else usually has to pay for the price that we want in our rewards. And the world encourages this. It says that everything is about you. You're the number one. Look out for yourself. In contrast, when Jesus calls us to follow him, the very first thing he says is to deny yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the biggest challenges I feel for the church today. Are we willing to deny ourselves In a world that we are filled with notifications going off, telling us how important we are, trying to fill our own sort of bubble of how, how good we should be. We try to justify ourselves by saying, oh, but I serve on team at church. So I'm too busy to help this person. God send someone else. I think God might have something to say to us this morning. Two things that we've been teaching our volunteers at Streetlight is, uh, is the first one is that we, we say that we need to live beyond ourselves. In Philippians 2, Jesus says, do not be selfish. Don't try and impress others. Don't be humble and think of others better than yourself. Uh, going down a bit further, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality to God, with God as something to be clinging to. Jesus actually stepped out of his sort of, you know, he had it all. And yet he stepped down to earth to reach you and I, even willing to pay the ultimate price of dying on the cross. The other one where we, uh, we teach at uh, Streetlight is that we need to learn to love beyond walls. This Jewish man in the religious leader, he tried to build some walls around him saying, okay, Jesus, but if I love the people inside my comfort circle, is that okay? Who is my neighbor? Are these people my neighbor? He's trying to build walls around saying, what if I just love people in here? Is that enough? And Jesus is saying, love doesn't have boundaries. Love doesn't just look after those inside your house, those that you're comfortable with. I heard a pastor a little while ago, he said, if what is born in the house doesn't find a way out of the house, it will eventually die in the house. Yeah. Wow. You know, as we're looking at Pentecost, the Spirit came upon the disciples, and what happened? Did they just stay there and have a good time together? No. They got scattered. 
This is why we have the very church that we have today. It's because they weren't, they weren't happy just being comfortable being around themselves. They took that message and they took it out and they spread it around. So for me and Elizabeth, the suburb, not the girl, we, I used to create distance between myself and people there. And God has brought me near. Not only for me to show love to them, but for God to actually create love within me to transform my life as I'm working towards those around me. Just this last year, as I said, we, we had that death of the 17-year-old girl. Right now, this last uh, week, I caught up with a young guy who's 20 years of age. I met him about four years ago as well. A month ago, he had his four-month-old girl taken off of him from the department for suspected child abuse. And I got to reach out to him and say, hey man, let's, let's catch up. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know the story. But I was just willing to take the step. And sometimes that's what God is calling us to do, is to just take the step, knowing that he will give us the words to say. He'll be with us in that moment. And so I'm able to help him and just journey alongside of him. We've had two catch-ups now. And this last week, he shared with me some stories that I'd never heard before. He said, you know, when I was born, my dad walked out on me. Me and my mum, he just left. He said, for those last four years as I've known you, he said, you've been like a dad to me. And I told him about how my motivation is Jesus. That my motivation to help people isn't just because it's something that I want to do, but that it's actually because of the faith that I have in God and what God's done for me and what God's done for him. And he responded with this. He said, you know what? You're like my Jesus. Ten minutes earlier, he was telling me that, and I've known him for four years, he has no faith in God. But yet he is able to see Jesus expressed in the actions that are shown to him. And that's the Jesus that he believes in, is the God that shows up where he is and lives and loves where he's at. To recap this story, there's three people in this story that we really want to focus on. The religious leaders, selfishly avoiding the interruptions in life, filled with their own pride, their own priorities. Jesus is teaching us this morning, if this is you, not to be like this, not to place boundaries around who you're willing to love and who you're willing to push aside. The Samaritan. This is where Jesus is calling us to, to love like, to be selfless, having that same attitude that Philippians 2 says as Jesus Christ had, willing to cross the boundary, willing to pay the price, willing to love. And the third person, who maybe some of us feel like this morning, is the Jewish man, left half for dead. He's in a helpless state. And maybe someone here this morning feels like they're in a helpless state. And what I want to challenge you here this morning is that Jesus calls us to be like the Good Samaritan. The reason why is because Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Each one of us, at some point in our life, we were bloodied, we were broken. We were left for dead. We had no eternal life ahead of us because of the condition we were in. We could not help ourselves. It's called sin. Without someone intervening on our behalf, we were going to die. And I'm meaning forever. Jesus gets off of his donkey. Heaven. He comes down and bends down, sees us in our state and says, I have compassion for you. He sees us and says, if the shoe was on the other foot, you probably wouldn't help me. 
but I'm willing to step down to help you. He takes everything that he had and gives it to us, not holding anything back. He says, past sins, future sins, I'll pay for them all. Once and for all on the cross, you know, if, if the bill runs higher, if you keep on sinning, my death is still sufficient for you. I've paid the price completely. There is nothing that you have to pay for this brokenness to be healed and restored. And so I think for some of us today, we need to hear that that maybe we're still that Jewish man lying half beaten on the ground and that we need Jesus to show us that he has come down alongside of you. So for for this morning, I really felt the two words to, to finish up with is for some of us, we need courage. And for some of us, we need to receive that compassion. So this morning, as we, as we come to a close, I'd, I'd like for us to just to have a time where we can pray. And see that if, if, if it's something that we go, you know what? Yes, Jesus, I've, I've lived for myself. And I've made this all about me. And I haven't been willing to love those around me. I haven't even been willing to look at them because I'm so focused on what is happening in my life. Or maybe you're just too uncomfortable. Then I feel like God is wanting to fill you with some courage this morning. And for those of you who may be just saying, God, I just, I'm just not there. I'm so wrapped up in my sin. I'm so wrapped up in my personal struggles that Jesus is wanting to show you compassion and show you that he has paid the price once and for all. And then you'll be able to love and have that mind like Christ. Let us pray here this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are the one and only true good Samaritan that was willing to pay the ultimate price for me, for them, for us. Lord, I pray that as we go out this week, that we would see and hold on to that love that you have shown to each one of us so strongly that that would become the motivation that we use to love those around us, even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable, and even when it costs. Fill us this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, give us the courage and remind us of your compassion. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.